0: Hello and welcome back to Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast. I'm Dr. Julian Brinkley, your host. In today's world, the way people get around is changing rapidly. From the emergence of ride-sharing and electric vehicles to autonomous vehicles and spacecraft, new technologies are fundamentally changing the way we move around our cities and beyond. I believe to understand existing mobility technologies, as well as to imagine what comes next, we must think beyond our understanding of mobility as purely getting from point A to point B, and must instead think about the experience of mobility itself. In this podcast, we will explore the design of mobility technologies with an emphasis on understanding how best to support the human user. We'll be talking to designers, researchers, engineers, and experts in the field about how they design compelling, accessible, and engaging experiences at some of the world's leading mobility companies. So whether you're an industry professional, an educator, or just someone with a passion for mobility, design, UX, and technology, this podcast is for you. Let's get into it. Welcome to Designing for Movement, the UX Formability podcast. Joining us today is Chet Schmidt, a dynamic and innovative UX UI designer currently working at Wheels Up, a leader in the aviation industry. Chet is known for a thoughtful, disciplined, and systematic approach to UX design, with a focus on overcoming challenges and designing solutions that enhance the user experience. He has a knack for identifying opportunities within problem spaces and leveraging data to inform design decisions. Welcome, Chet, and thank you for being on Designing for Movement. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's jump right into it. So could you share a little bit about how you initially became interested in UX design? and what led you specifically to specialize in the mobility aviation sector? Sure. So, back in college,
1: there was a budding entrepreneurial program at the university that I attended, I actually went to Fairfield University in Connecticut. There was a budding entrepreneurial program which I jumped on. I was very excited about it, got close interactions with a number of the professors there and then was able to, you know, work within the system and push for a business plan competition. So, during that business plan competition, which I helped form and deploy, I also competed in it. And there I was working on an idea that I had, which was a basically a college version of TaskRabbit, where you had verified students of the college and you can provide a way for college students to seek employment within their local community. So I was really involved with that and really tried to do everything From designing the website, build web development, writing the business plan, really just try to do everything. But by doing that, I really gravitated towards, you know, the actual design aspect, really interested in the way that people were using the website that I had built and just constantly looking to improve that. Because in my mind, that was the most effective way to have an impact on a business and the thing that I was running and was really connected to the results that came out of you know, that constant improvement of the user experience on the website. So that really got me interested in user experience design.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I find that, you know, people come at discipline really from a variety of different backgrounds. So it's always interesting to really hear how people got started on this journey. In some cases, I find that it's either, you know, exposure to UX, UI design, and academia, exposure to research, like perhaps at a company. So it's just interesting to hear about that, how that really occurred. Yeah, so I would expand on that, you know, just for anyone who's looking to get
1: into the UX space. I started out, like, that's where I got interested in during that competition. But my career path actually started. I attracted the attention of a local software company, it was an event planning software company for my ability to present. So I was recruited there to be a salesperson. But as a salesperson within a software company, you have a lot of contacts with their user. You're following up, making sure they're happy. And then you hear a lot of complaints. And that was my introduction to the UX team and UX as a practice. So if there's an opportunity for you at a software company and there's a UX team, you can really just get yourself involved to see what kind of value that you can bring to that team. So you can just start contributing more and more. And then eventually you can get enveloped into that team. I wasn't a UX designer at that company in particular, but I made the connections there for when UX designer went freelance and started his own basically UX shop, I was able to join them. But if you can find contacts just by providing value, that's a great way to get in.
0: No, I think, you know, what you just indicated is really great because it really highlights how, you know, we get this experience in this area really in a variety of different ways, right? So I really think that's interesting. But let's talk a little bit about what you're currently doing at uh, Wills Up. What attracted you to your current role and what's your day-to-day like? Attracted to me to the current role I've loved aviation since I was a kid.
1: I went to Aviation Challenge which was the space camp of pilots <laughs> and so I was really interested in it from when I was a kid. My grandfather was a pilot so I've just been always really drawn to the aviation space. So when I got recruited by Wheels Up I jumped at the opportunity immediately. So it was a nice twist of fate. So day to day I work remote. So, you know, I start the day off at home. I boot up my computer and, you know, not to get too granular, but usually just checking in on emails and then reviewing designs, getting prepared for standups, any meetings that I have with developers, coordinating those, getting mock-ups together to present. Might be talking to some executives some leadership. And I need to get a design or I'm actually just putting presentation together. So, you know, it varies day to day a lot, depending on what priorities are in place. So it's a nice mix.
0: That's really interesting. Well, what kind of, to get into a little bit more depth there, can you give me an example of maybe, you know, one of the types of projects that you all are working on or one of the initiatives that you might be involved in? Sure. So just to kind of keep
1: it high level. What I design for is a lot, I deal with like the actual operations. So our flight management system that incorporates, you know, everything from customer relations to, you know, how things are handled within our sales process and sales flow and the communication between the pilots and the crews there. So within that kind of design atmosphere, one of like a things specifically that I've had the ability to work on and you know interview users and really get into was the actual scheduling view right so it's a way for people to go in whether they're pilots or they're you know third party affiliates that need contact to that information it was really you know saying what's in the air what needs to be worked on you know and taking in a lot of these various Variables and displaying them for what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow, and what's happening the day before, and like the factors, you know, for example, are you know, is ground transportation in place at the departure location? Is the arrival ground transportation available? You know, on the third leg of that trip, and is the catering coming on time? So. A lot of those variables that are going into, you need to talk to all these different user groups that are involved and create a cohesive user interface that can communicate all these different variables that are going on with just a single flight leg was an interesting project that I worked on just because, you know, we're dealing with ground transportation people, how they're putting in information and how that communicates to the system. And ultimately, how are we delivering that communication to the user?
0: That's really interesting. What it sounds like to me, as you were talking, I started to think about what you are doing really perhaps contributes to enhancing the user experience in air travel. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. So, you know, with in terms of what it is you're working on specifically, or maybe to take a little bit broader view and think more about UX design generally, How does UX design really contribute to the safety and reliability of aviation operations? That's a good question.
1: So I think that has to do with, in my opinion, data accuracy and less so in the private aviation space, but I'd see this being adapted in the future, but the human interaction with security and how that's going to evolve and progress, that I have less so experience that I can speak to with those kind of like speculation, you know, you see the eye scanning and things like that. How is that going to be adapted to, but more, more for what I can speak to is data accuracy. You know, we're flying a lot of these King Airs, which can be on the smaller end of a private aircraft to, you know, larger citation, private jets. And, you know, things like weight that's coming in from customers. If there's any, you know, for example, pets that are coming in, last minute details, like if you're adding a customer, things like weight can really have a big impact on the flight, the availability of fuel in certain locations. Are you going to have too much fuel? Are you going to have not enough fuel? So I think stressing the security and safety of the aviation industry has a lot to do with data accuracy. And if you're making it hard as a user experience designer to input that data, or making it hard to find those input Locations, you know, whether it's on a device, whether, you know, it might be hardware that has an interface at the location that communicates with the system. But the ability to put in and interact with accurate data, I think, has a very big impact on
0: aviation space. Well, you started talking about something there that I want to follow up on and correct me if I'm wrong. But really, when we think about it, there are, you know, some differences between maybe some of the UX challenges that might emerge in private aviation versus commercial air travel. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, there's definitely nuances and like large differences between the two. And which is, you know, a reason why people come to wheels up as opposed to flying commercial, right? That they, so like those processes, the approach, you know, from how a plane is booked and flown, even to how the customer arrives at the airport, And goes through security, goes through customs. Each of those are its unique, you know, flow of that task from start to finish. There, it's similar, but it can vary quite a bit. You know, some commercial planes, you know, can get into certain areas, and you know that can come with different performance. You know, of different aircrafts, and I don't necessarily think that may have to do with accessibility, but you know, depending on You know, who's aboard, you know, if there's handicapped passengers aboard, you know, accessibility on multiple levels, you know, how that could affect, you know, definitely impacts, you know, commercial versus private
0: aviation. So maybe I should have asked this question early on. I've done some research on wheels up prior to our conversation, but just so that the listeners have a better understanding, can you just give us a 10,000 foot view of Wheels Up and what you all do, and you know, just so we can make sure the listeners are on the same page? Sure,
1: a lot of people like to call it the Uber of private aviation. It really empowers someone to be able to go on, download an app, and access our marketplace for private flights. There's a number of ways that you can get access to this, But yeah, what we like a popular phrase is we're the Uber
0: for private aviation. Gotcha. And that's a perfect lead into this question. When we think about it from that perspective, the Uber of private aviation, what are perhaps some unique challenges from a UX design perspective that you encounter basically developing like the infrastructure and the apps and everything else that goes into providing this service versus Maybe some of the challenges that might be apparent if you were talking about Uber or ground transportation, like what are some of those differences? And just FYI, we just had um, on a prior episode, some folks from Uber on as well. So shout out to Uber. So what are some of the differences there, you
1: think? So the differences between Uber and like what we do in the
0: aviation space specifically? Well, what I'm thinking is with the UX research process, differ you know because i would imagine that the user of uber right we think about people in an urban environment perhaps i'm a frequent user of uber whenever i travel I always use uber so i I frequently use it i find it works really well in urban areas or areas where there's a certain population density but i would imagine that the type of research you need to do and i don't know this is true so correct me if i'm wrong but i would imagine that the type of research that you need to do the demographics of the user You know, how you approach design, like some of the design principles that you're bringing to bear might be a little bit different if you were designing for Uber and ground transportation versus what you're doing with private aviation, right? Because I would imagine the way I imagine it, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So as opposed to Uber, right, and all respect to Uber and what they do, is aviation is its own unique thing, right? With aviation, you don't have drivers, you have pilots, you have, you know, navigators, you have tower control, you have ground crew, things like that, all which are ultimately a part of our operation, right? And you have, you know, pilots who are very specialized and take many hours to become a pilot, right? It takes many hours to be one of our like highly proficient mechanics. So it takes, a lot of qualifications, right, to get in the door in the aviation space. It takes a lot of dedicated, hardcore people who love aviation. Like our whole UX team is we love, we're all aviation enthusiasts to a a scary degree. So we're very passionate about what we do. So one of the benefits that we have as an organization, as opposed to Uber, and maybe not as really as opposed to Uber, but we have the ability to access, you know, our own talent group, our own employees to the point where we brought in, you know, operations people who are, you know, in the operations dealing with coordinating flights, things like that, and brought them into the product space. So what we're able to do with those people in our product space who have been kind of naturalized the wheels up infrastructure and the aviation space, also, you know, pulling other experts from the aviation space. And as a UX designer, I'm able to really pull in from that extreme level of expertise from, you know, a pilot who, you know, one of my product managers, she's a pilot, she has been with wheels up from the ground up. So she has a ton of experience as like a pilot, I have other product managers who are, you know, they came from, our, like I said, our operations. So we really have the ability to conduct research in a very fast and effective manner, which really brings us down to a point where we're a, being designs a lot quicker
0: than I feel that than other organizations. Yeah, that makes sense, but that raises another question. So you know obviously you have these domain experts right whether we're talking about pilots or whether we're talking about a mechanics these are all you know the people you all are hiring are all you know experts in terms of what it is they do so i would imagine you have you know and just given the nature of the technologies that you're working on you have this range of you know kind of expert stakeholders right You have this range of stakeholders that you're attempting to design for and you're doing research to support that design activity. So in thinking about that, how do you actually balance the needs of these different users such that, you know, your mechanics, flight crew, pilots, et cetera, are their needs are really being addressed when designing aviation solutions? Like, how are you balancing, you know, the, are there trade-offs that you have to basically look at? Are you weight, you know, one stakeholder group over another in terms of their perspective? Like, how do you approach that really? So we iterate and deploy very fast,
1: right? So what we kind of prioritize is, you know, what is holding up Basically, the flow, like where are the dams that are holding up our stream? Right. And we're in constant communication with our operations people, and we're able to take, you know, the temperature of, you know, their operations, whether it's, you know, anecdotal in research environments or analytical situations where we can really talk to them and see, you know, not only where they're having problems within their workflow, but we can also see you know, what evidence there is to back that up and assess priorities, right? Because if we necessarily want to address the loudest person in the room, we want to make sure that, you know, this, you know, we can assess priorities, you know, by backing up with data and tying it to business objectives and business outcomes. So it's very much a living, breathing, process, but it's really, you know,
0: getting a synchronization of all those elements to assess priorities. That really makes sense to me. And what it sounds like is really trying to get a good understanding of user needs is really critical to what it is that you're doing. Can you share some strategies or techniques? You know, maybe there's a specific research approach that you found that has been uh, really effective, but you know, what type of strategies and techniques do you use to try to make sure that you're keeping the needs users needs and you know what they need from your system from what you're designing really at the forefront of your design process. Yeah, so that's an interesting question, right? And I like to think of it as a
1: basically approaching a stand up or a meeting is you as a designer are there as a lawyer to advocate for your users, right? And you want to go in the court of basically the opinion of your stand-up, your presentation, whatever you have that you might be doing. And you're there to defend your user <laughs> and, you know, get the best possible outcome for them while using evidence, you know, that you've built up to make your case. So, you know, if you're fighting for a certain interface, you want to make sure that you have the evidence and facts to back that up for your users. So just using that as a mindset really helps you determine what you need to bring. You know, if it's a 10-minute meeting and you're fighting for a color of a button or drop shadow on something, you know, assess what you need to, you know, effectively make your argument. If you're designing for a completely new design system that you thought of and you want to bring it to, you know, your design team, like make your case defend your case defend your user and the rest of it will fall into place so given whatever situation whatever time frame you have you can adjust your strategies to make you know to defend your user client
0: so in terms of that you know really trying to have evidence to back up you know your design decisions and the arguments you're making about how things need to move forward how things need to be designed how things need to be structured so in terms of looking at that what type of user research methods do you commonly use to basically gather the type of evidence that you want to have when you go into these stand-ups or meetings? When you go into those meetings to try to make a case for, you know, why this button needs to be a specific color or why this layout is preferable versus another layout or things of that nature. Are you doing interviews, focus groups? Are you
1: doing? Yeah, we do a lot of, prototyping with, you know, user walkthroughs, asking questions and getting feedback that way. So a lot of what we do is, you know, we can design a number of interfaces and, you know, given a certain task flow, we're, you know, asking them to articulate their thoughts and getting, you know, in some cases, we might not do that in terms of speed, but a lot of just getting it in front of the user, you know, whether it's a couple of iterations, you know, a lot of prototyping, getting those prototypes in front of users and getting feedback from them there, making it quantitative and then, you know, assessing certain, you know, whatever we're testing, right? Does button A performed better than button B, you know, H2 better there or is it an H1 kind of thing? So, you know, at a high level, really just relying on those user interviews as they're using the
0: prototypes. So I want to follow up on that. When we talk about prototype, so in my lab, we spend a lot of time prototyping a range of technologies, whether we're prototyping autonomous vehicle human machine interfaces, prototyping mobile apps, web apps, you know, any number of different things. Like we spend a lot of time basically prototyping. And what I have found just through conversations with people in a variety of different industries. So people who are working in automotive, social systems, et cetera is that the way prototypes are basically built and what a prototype looks like is oftentimes wildly different depending upon, you know, the specific use case or the specific industry that we're talking about. Oftentimes I find that automotive prototypes, you know, a lot of times if you're developing something that's an automotive human machine interface or some sort of automotive system, a lot of those prototypes tend to be really tangible, right? So there'll be a digital component, but typically there's also uh, buttons, knobs, other tangible type controls that you can interact with potentially whereas in other in other areas like prototyping social systems maybe it's a purely digital prototype maybe something that you use figma with or what have you to prototype or some other tool can you talk a little bit about you know what the prototypes that you're designing what do they look like what do they consist of and basically how do you build them like what kind of tools are you using to basically build these prototypes
1: yeah so it's pretty straightforward we're building prototypes on figma creating those prototypes deploying them you know via a link and depending on you know the speed of what we're trying to access or we might deliver it directly on someone's phone on someone's tablet and have them use it that way sometimes if we can get them in a test environment oftentimes we can access you know our operations people so For me, particularly designing for internal things, like we have easy access to our users. So we can do a lot of, you know, over the shoulder kind of interviews, or, you know, we can deploy a clickable prototype because, you know, given our internal facing operations, a lot of what we do is on a desktop anyway. So it's kind of the perfect environment, especially for what I design. It's a lot of it is just on a desktop where, you know, designing for operations people, And it's right there. But yeah, we use a variety of those techniques.
0: Interesting. You know, I find that many companies and industries are using Figma as well. So that's really interesting. So slight pivot. Could you talk a little bit about a project that you worked on at Wheels Up that you feel had a significant impact on improving the user experience, whether that's you know, from an operations perspective for pilots, mechanics, et cetera. But just some project that you've worked on that you feel like personally, this has had a tangible impact on improving the user experience. Yeah, so again, just kind of keeping it
1: high level, I would say something that I'm particularly proud of is the ability to integrate and deploy notifications within workflows because, you know, considering the user experience, You know, a lot of it you have to consider outside the actual interface, especially when you're talking aviation and you're talking ground crews and you're talking communication between, you know, all these different people. Appropriate timing is everything. You don't want to be too early. You don't want to be too late. So creating a system of, you know, alerts, notifications, things like that, that are delivered in appropriate time and are delivering the appropriate information had a measurable impact on
0: improving operations. So it sounds like you learned quite a lot from that project, from basically doing that type of work. Did anything that you learned from what you were doing there in that specific project carry on into other projects?
1: Oh, yeah, it's carried on throughout, you know, most projects that we have done. Now it's like a major consideration of what we're doing as a UX practice, you know, really focusing on bringing people back in, you know, as it pertains to, you know, going back to data accuracy and security, you you want to prompt a user to input data, perhaps when it's like fresh in their mind. So, you know, delivering that, you know, a certain notification to engage with the app, can prompt higher data accuracy
0: at the time when it's most applicable. So let's talk a little bit about the future. I'm interested in your perspective on, cause obviously mobility is changing really rapidly, right? Like we have things like Uber, we have you know your company more or less an Uber for private air travel. We have emerging consumer commercial space travel, things of that nature. So. There are a lot of things changing, right? Where do you see the future of air travel UX design evolving in the next five or 10 years? Where do you go next? Like, what is the next step in terms of like, you know, the evolution? Yeah, I love this question. You know, you had mentioned
1: autonomous vehicles and and autonomous vehicle system. I think a lot of that could, you know, if you just look at the aviation space right now, you can see just the variety and amount of drones that are out there. And how like that drone technology is being adapted to personal flight and personal aviation. You have various v vehicles, you know, short takeoff and landing vehicles, vertical takeoff ability. The technology that's out there is astounding. So I think you know, in iterative steps, the future will look like you know, ordering a personal air transportation to your house. You know, perhaps in like a, a helicopter fashion that could take you to your destination but i think a lot of it's going to focus on autonomous vehicles for sure
0: so just to make sure i'm understanding you correctly autonomous aviation really i believe so i like this has nothing to do with wheels up It's just
1: you know <laughs> too many science fiction movies but yeah i think with this emerging technology and as you know technology adapts and advance we could really see that as a possibility
0: so what that reminds me of, I saw a movie years ago. I think this movie is maybe eight or 10 years old. It's a Matt Damon film and they're science fiction movie. And they basically have these personal vehicles, but they fly and kind of go into space, right? When you talk about like this kind of personal air travel that's autonomous, that's what I think about. Because they did a really good job in that movie of demonstrating how something like that could potentially work. And I think actually in the movie... The vehicle was even like a Bugatti or something like that. Like it was a Bugatti or a Bentley or, or something along those lines, but basically uh, an aircraft or some sort. So it sounds like you think that the emergence of AI and higher levels of automation will really have an impact on aviation as we move forward. Is that a fair characterization? Yes, and I, I believe so. And I think
1: an important part that's going to be have to be played here is going to be by the FAA and really managing the introduction of these technologies and how they are used and dispersed. Because, you know, safety is a huge, huge, it's like one of our first tenants at Wheels Up is safety, security of our passengers. So I think, you know, that has have to be the first and foremost, as it is in the aviation industry. But with those, you know, hand in hand, development between the aviation industry along with the FAA, I think, you know, that it's definitely a real possibility. But, you know, regulations and safety are definitely to be considered, especially in terms of speed into the entry of the market.
0: Well, when we talk about AI and automation, so we think about all the potential, you know, there are a number of possibilities, right? Like we've all seen science fiction movies where just like I was mentioning a moment ago, where we have these really advanced technologies, So obviously that creates a lot of opportunities, but do do you see any challenges that might emerge out of that from a UX design perspective? Well,
1: you know, there's always the Terminator scenario, you know, an over-reliance on, you know, these technology platforms have the ability to kind of get corrupted, but also, you know, there's also... Basically, an analog component. I feel like, especially considering the future aviation, right? I think like the classic story is if a sunburst goes off, you know, the only cars that are going to be viable these days are like pre nineteen fifty or pre nineteen sixties vehicles because they have that analog component. So there is a failure component that would be catastrophic if it was to be completely an AI reliant system because there's so many factors that can't be accounted for, you know, if there's an over reliance on something that is a failure point.
0: Great. That really makes a lot of sense. You know, that terminated scenario or, you know, creating circumstances where we're getting so evolved and advanced with our technologies, and so dependent upon them, that it becomes really problematic when we get to a point where there are failures, right? Like, how do we kind of overcome those? So as we wrap up, there are always a couple questions that I like to ask, right? You know, I try to leave on a thought-provoking note to the degree possible. So if you could design the user experience for any historical or fictional airship or aircraft, whether we're talking about, you know, a Wright Brothers plane or the Millennium Falcon or something in between, what would you choose and why? That's a great question.
1: I think if I could go a little over your head, right? If Okay, so if we're sticking to aircraft right whether it's space travel I think I've been always fascinated with blimps to be honest and for me there's a gap between the capabilities of an airship and the ability to go fast right and have controlled flight I don't know if if there's an integrated UX system involved with that but if we're talking you know if I could have an impact and see a future in aviation I would love it to be blimps they're quiet. You know, they're a little bit big in the sky, but in terms of noise pollution and density of population and potential for impact on the security and safety of blimps would be a fun experience.
0: Okay, I wasn't expecting that. I thought you were going to go Millennium Falcon or some sort of Star Trek or Star Wars type craft or something like that. So I was definitely not expecting. There's a beautiful simplicity about a blimp to me. Well, it's interesting if you look at some science fiction shows like Fringe, I don't know if you remember Fringe, but in their imagined future, blimps are everywhere. So they're widely used as transportation options. So, you know, I guess great minds think alike. (laughs) Well, thank you, Chet. It's been a privilege and a great opportunity to have you on Designing for Movement. I think this has been a great conversation and dialogue. And I want to thank you for uh, going on this journey with us. You have a great day. Great. Thanks for having me. That's all for today's episode for the UX for Mobility podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes and feel free to leave us a review to let us know what you think. And a special thanks to our guests for sharing their expertise with us and to our listeners for tuning in. Join me again next time for more exciting discussions on Designing for Movement, the UX for Mobility podcast.